at you fucking arms straight down toes are tapping that's the spirit Ben. it's because i don't want the cops to see that i'm dancing <laughs> this isn't offensive is it probably <laughs> let's be honest hey ben what do you call a bulletproof irishman i don't know glenn what do you call a bulletproof irishman <laughs> ricochet <laughs> uh... we can't do that this is a respectable episode dedicated to irish cinema with one of the most respectable Irish filmmakers of all time. And here's me launching into the Irish joke, mate. Yeah, I know. Like, you're going to get us blown up. <laughs> I know, there, was a, there was a ceasefire, <laughs> but, the, you know, it's all still out there. Well, uh, what's Irish and sits outside all day? <laughs> it's, I don't know. At the furniture. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I think an Irish joke says a lot about the culture. Like... They're the only well, ones. Our culture or theirs? <laughs> Both. I mean, they're the only ones we can really still make fun of without getting into too much trouble, which says a lot about their resilience. <laughs> they can they can take it. Yeah, I don't think they uh, I don't think that's <laughs> Well we'll see when this episode comes out if that is in fact true. <laughs> I mean, or if th- that this is the last episode of Good Movie Monday. Hey, our our banners are green, mate. We love the Irish. Yeah. Some of yeah, some of my best friends are Irish. I do love the Irish culture. I love it a lot. I and mean, then this is why I'm looking forward to today's show. Ah, but mate, you know what? I am still finding hundreds of thousands on this desk from last week. I was very disappointed that there was no uh, <laughs> there was no little chocolatey treats on the desk for this week's show. You came in with such anticipation. I was. Uh, it was all. It was all anticipation, and I enjoyed listening to the show last week. At the other sounds of me munching away. <laughs> Did you hear that? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I recall saying, mm. "Do you have anything to add?" And all you hear is, "I got nothing." <laughs> <laughs> but a mouthful. <laughs> How have you been this week, mate? Yeah, good. Good. That is good. Same to everybody else. How have you all been, our friends who are listening? And by friends, I mean all of you. Thanks for hitting play, by the way. Uh, it's another episode of Good Movie Monday, the weekly podcast dedicated to nerdy cinematic ramblings. My name is Glenn Cochran. I host the show. And the other guy is Ben Halwig. He co-hosts the show. Every week we pick a theme. And um, you know, it usually revolves around whoever the guest is. I was going to say, I thought this week's theme was Westerns. That's next week, mate. <laughs> That's a, you're right. <laughs> I got a nasty surprise. I've been, you know, luckily they, you can, there's a lot of Irish people in Westerns. <laughs> that is true. Uh, but uh, yeah, got myself into a bit of trouble. <laughs> Well, the reason is that this week imprint films are releasing a pretty incredible Jim Sheridan box set, which is um, four Irish films, and the good people at uh, Via Vision who distribute the imprint films offered us an interview with the man himself. So, what what are the films in the box set? the The films are you've got My Left Foot, excellent. You've got The Field, In the Name of the Father, and The Boxer. That. Okay, they are his first four films, and the thing with The Field is this is the first time it's ever hit Blu-ray, so it's an exclusive to this box set. And it's a film that got overlooked the world over. Is this the one that has the sequel that uh, <laughs> Queen and Country? Is Queen and Country no. the sequel to it? No, I don't believe so. But this um, this is the movie that 
he had started filming before my left foot came out and as we know you know my left foot became like a global phenomenon with you know daniel day lewis winning an oscar therefore the field kind of got overshadowed by all of that right but he's a big deal so you know i'm particularly excited to have him on the show but what better excuse ben to watch some irish films i (laughs) you and i i think we're pretty predictable because we do love our mainstream pop culture centric kind of stuff and there's no way that this show could go on without a a mention of the commitments or Sing Street, am I right? <laughs> or W. Gill and the Little People. Oh, I have that down for later. <laughs> you know it. <laughs> like I can't, yeah, we can't go. I, I don't like to go a show, <laughs> let alone like an Irish, an Irish film special without talking about Sing, either Sing Street. You know, if it, my, only, my only problem with Get Carter is that he's, uh, he's Cockney instead of Irish. <laughs> Yeah, then it then it would cover this this episode would just cover all my favourite films. I do love Irish films, man. There's something about them, whether it's the working class kind of thing or the the myth, you know, the folklore kind of stuff. I usually save the honourable mentions for the end of the show, you know, after we've already recommended some. But I'm going to name drop a few here simply because I I've probably talked about them at length already on the show. But some to get behind: Bloody Sunday. That gets a mention. That was an imprint release. And Jim Sheridan produced that one, so yeah, right. worth mentioning. Omar was the companion film to that. That's a good one. Everyone loves Waking Ned Divine. They do indeed. Anything with James Nesbitt, like yeah. Belter. Um, and Monster Pictures released one called Grabbers. We did. I yeah. loved Grabbers. That was a fantastic, that was a really fun, it was a, probably the most fun film that we've actually it's, released. It's the fun, I was about to say it's the funnest. <laughs> it's the most fun uh, sea creature movie I think I know. Yeah. Yeah, and what a great, <laughs> what a great twist! Yeah, what a great premise! Yeah, yeah, per- perfect, yeah, perfect. Like, yeah, I like movies like like you. Funnily enough, a lot of them are like I. <laughs> one of the films I was looking at talking about this week was Leap Year mm. because you know we both we both have really come out of watching The Offer, <laughs> loving Matthew Good. Yeah. He's the star of of Leap Year, mm. and Leap Year is a, a remake of a film called I Know Where I'm Going. And I was mm. like, oh, I can talk about I Know Where I'm Going. That's a Scottish film. They actually, they transplanted it. <laughs> and I was thinking about things like Whiskey Galore and stuff like that. And you're like, oh, they're actually... There are so many movies that I had thought about doing that turned out to be Scottish. Scottish, yeah. <laughs> it's that Celtic thing that's yeah, going on. I feel, like, I feel like, you know, like Jim Owen in The Crack. Fuck Same it. diff. I was about to say, are we going to ignore The Crack? Seriously, <laughs> you've just kabooshed me twice, man. Twice in a row. <laughs> I mean, this is the only time that I've ever actively sought to watch The Crack. Like, yeah, right. I never did. I like but I wanted to. I don't know what your films are mm. this week. We yeah. haven't discussed it. So I hope I'm not going to be st- I'm not going to be stepping on any time. You're on a roll so far. You've already like stepped on two of but, my jokes. And one of them I, I guess I was going to kind of talk about if my, my other one kind of fell through. Yeah. Uh but was the the Crack, uh, not the Crack, sorry, The Guard. <laughs> yeah. The Guard and In Bruges. The guard gets and cavalry. The guard was going to uh, get a notable mention from me for sure. Because that is the guard is the guard much more so. Like in Bruges is great. Mm-hmm. I really liked in Bruges, but I think I actually saw that after the guard. Yeah, the guard's better. And the guard is just such a clever, fun film. Like there, I don't think there is a more enjoyable character to watch on screen 
than the Brendan Gleeson's character in that film. Let's, uh, let's touch upon that a little bit later, because right. um, there's a reason to, but um, we should quickly do a habitual uh, whip around to our weekly segments. Uh, the Good Movie Monday crew are back for another are they, week. Are they going to pay us some money? <laughs> Guillermo Troncoso from Screen Realm with some movie news. Uh, the Americans, Joe Chad and James, are here from Bonehead Weekly. The Americans! Talking about some of their favourite Irish films and... One of those may or may not be uh, the guard. And this guy, Jarrett Garden, he's from Monster Pictures and he fucking loves physical media. Hey, this is Jarrett and welcome to PE Class. Now I'm going to start with some news. On August 10th, Universal Sony are releasing Sonic the Hedgehog 2 on all the formats, 4K Ultra HD, Blu-ray and DVD. Now Universal Sony haven't revealed all the special feature content just yet, but they have said that it will feature over an hour's worth of special features. And that will include a new animated short titled Sonic Drone Home. Now on that very same date of August 10th, Universal Sony are releasing Steven Spielberg's Jewel on 4K Ultra HD. Again, they haven't revealed the special features, but I can only assume it will port those that were present on the Blu-ray. That said, who cares? It's Steven Spielberg's Jewel in 4K. Now on August 17th, in news for Glenn and his fellow Sniper brethren, Universal Sony are releasing another entry in the illustrious Sniper franchise. This one's titled Sniper Rogue Mission and it's headed to DVD August 17th. Now there are no new releases this week on Home Entertainment, but that doesn't matter because I'm not going to leave you empty handed. I'm going to give you a recommendation of a film you should seek out and watch. That film is from 1982 and it's Neil Jordan's first feature. It's titled Angel. It was released in the US under the title Danny Boy. Now that titular character of Danny is played by Stephen Ray, a regular you would know from many of Neil Jordan's films. And he's a saxophonist who witnesses the murder of his band's manager, but also the murder of a young innocent mute girl. He's haunted by the death of this young girl and subsequently goes on a vigilante quest to avenge her death. Now, Jordan's film is a strong debut. I'd rate it up there with, like, the Coen Brothers' Blood Simple as one of the strongest debut features from prominent filmmakers. And it's present, like, from the outset that this guy's sensibilities are there. He's an incredibly gifted filmmaker and right from the get-go. Of course, a film of this era being made in 82, you know, and set in Ireland, it does tackle the issue of the Northern Ireland conflict. But as it was a continuing crisis at the time, the troubles aren't referenced directly by name. Now, Angel is a revenge film, but it's unlike any other. It's understandably grim, but there's beauty about it. And despite the film's, you know, content, it's not an exploitative revenge film by any measure. Jordan is one of my favourite filmmakers, and he, I think, personally, he continues to make great films. I mean, his early films like Mona Lisa and The Crying Game are fantastic, but even his latter work like Byzantium and his more recent film Greta, terrific films. If not great, very entertaining. Now, if you want to see Angel, you've got a bit of a task ahead of you because you can't just well i don't know if you can stream this one you know this this show this segment is not about streaming it's about physical media so if you want to watch this movie in the best quality you can there is a blu-ray available but i urge you to seek it out soon because this thing's been out since 2015 it was limited to 3,000 units and for some reason it's still available but for how long who knows get it now before you pay like double or triple the price on ebay it's available from Screen Archives and it's a Twilight Time release. Anyway, that's it for me for this week. So until next time, stay physical. Mate, am I ears deceiving me? Another sniper movie? 
Have I just died and gone to heaven? heaven? Yes, so many. <laughs> yeah. Who would have thought that there are eight, was it eight movies? Yeah, this will be nine. Nine. Nine movies about a guy hiding in the grass <laughs> for days on end to take one shot. Wow, my goodness. Like, this seems to be a good movie Monday exclusive, by the way, because you can't find information about this anywhere. Yeah, right. But apparently yeah, it's coming from Sony Pictures. Like, I like my sniper movies like Shooter with Mark Wahlberg, where <laughs> yeah. it's just in the beginning... And then he's off on hey, an adventure. As you know, I adored that last well, you one. Love him. You, oh, I you do love, love him. him. And that last one was a banger. Maybe we can get Chad Michael Collins back on the show to talk about to it. Talk about but it. you know what? Like this says a lot about the franchise, right? When you can't find any information about this out there in the internet sphere or whatever you call it, and yet you believe it's coming. Like, it's like you uh, tell yeah. me it's coming, I know it. Yeah. Like, why not? <laughs> right. Up to number nine, of course yeah. it's happening. And then you've got that news about Duel getting a 4K release, but like that hardly compares to Sniper on DVD. I don't know. Like this, I you know the more I, <laughs> I had changed my buying habits, um, to include 4Ks because yeah. I, I am 4K compliant. <laughs> uh, and but now the more I kind of get into it, mm-hmm. the more like and admittedly, like when I say I am 4 4K compliant, I have the players. I don't have a 4K TV. I do. I've got a. I've got a pretty nice 120 inch projector screen up <laughs> that does, pl- but it still only plays 1080p. And even that, like, I'm sure that globe is due for a for a refresh. So maybe I'm not. You know, I, I haven't been sold. Like, I, I, you know, I do like to walk through the JB Hi-Fi, <laughs> you know, 4K TV section and go, oh, those demo videos look pretty nice, but I don't know what that means in the real world. I've only just upgraded Jewel to Blu-ray, so, like, I'm not so, in yeah. any hurry to get it on 4K, to be honest with you. you. Know, like, in the movies that we're, we're going to be, the, one of the movies, at least, I'm going to be talking about today, yeah. I watched on DVD, and yeah. it was fine. That Dude, look at my collection. It's like, what, 80% DVD. You know, I've been watching trailers for work on YouTube that are two two forty p, and you know, admittedly, I'm watching it on a phone size screen. That's true. They're fine. I don't care. <laughs> well, anyway, the uh, the whole the whole importance of that conversation is Sniper Nine on DVD. Yeah. So, thanks to Jarrett um, for making my day. He's going to be furious with me, by the way, for <laughs> for dissing four K. Hey, that's his like, bag. Is outrageous. Um. So, what do you call an Irishman trying to break up fights? I don't know. Liam alone. How many more of these? <laughs> There's not many. There's not many. <laughs> you peppered the entire run, run sheet with. Uh... <laughs> I wonder if we. I'll just leave. I'll just leave empty spaces where I'll go. No what? I just. We can just record a bunch of no what, so you can just keep inserting them you know, at random points when you're uh, when you're doing I'll, the edit. I'll just re-record a whole yeah. lot of them. <laughs> All right, let's go into some... I mean, I picked a fucking good um, topic for getting names pronounced, right? (laughs) Yeah, look, we're in a lot of trouble. (laughs) We certainly are. We're in a lot of trouble this episode. All right, so my first recommendation for the show, I'm going to go back to 1994. It's a wonderful family film called The Secret of Roan Inish. Sort of a, it's a drama, a family film, and sort of a folklore movie all at once about the Selkie. Which, mm. if you don't know what a selkie is, it's half human, half seal. It's a, you know, it's a whole thing. <laughs> it's a bizarre. How you can tell the difference between a selkie and a merman? Yeah, well, I guess the difference being is that they just transform. They don't exactly have uh, like a. They, they're, not half, they're, not half, they're not half. They're half. No, they sort of swim up to the they're edge not, of the water and then walk out of it. They're not bi seals. <laughs> 
But this movie was directed by John Sayles, of all people. You know, the John Sayles. Who I, didn't look, I didn't get that far into my research. I would have watched it if Written it was and directed a, by John Sayles, the guy who like started off with Alligator and The Howling and moved up to Lone Star and various other movies and made one. Yeah, May you know, Fantastic film. Which I will be picking up on Blu-ray at uh, Dead End DVD tomorrow. Oh, there's a movie Slash <laughs> two days ago. <laughs> a movie night I want to be part of. <laughs> but this one stars Susan Lynch from The Commitments, and she was in Ready Player One recently. And From Hell. And From Hell. Uh, John Lynch as well from Sliding Doors and Angel Baby. You know, they kind of look like, you know, he looks like the male version of her and she looks like the female version of him. <laughs> But the story's set in 1945, and it's about a girl. I guess she's about seven or eight years old. Her mother dies, and her dad becomes gravely ill, so she's sort of sent to live with her grandparents, who live in a small sort of Irish fishing village. I love the plot of this movie so far. That's right. They live in a small Irish village, and they fill her with stories of their family lineage and and bloodline, and and there's all these stories about the Selkie that come into play, and then she starts to believe that maybe her baby brother, who had died a few years ago, had been taken by the Selkie, and, you know... I love how... Like, it is very, very, uh, I guess... Not typical is the wrong word, but um, I can't think of the word. But like Irish films are, and Irish culture yeah. are peppered with this kids being you know, taken. Well, not not <laughs> no no, but, the, but this tragedy. Yeah. These you know these. Um, well, it's because it's a hard life. Like there's been like the history yeah. is it's hard living. These on land. you know these family you know kind of happy films yeah. are always rooted in. Horrific tragedy. Yeah, which, as if, um, just a bit of a plug for them, the Bonehead Weekly guys talked about unpopular Disney opinions recently, which I had to listen to since we were Oh, yeah, talk. like I do want to listen yeah. to that episode. And um, one of the, this wasn't one of the opinions, but they started talking about how all of the family dynamics in most Disney animated feature films are missing a parent. They've usually died or something like that. Right. And they go into why. They go back to like one of the early animators talking about why that is, and it turns out to be just for plot device like you yeah. can't have these kids doing these adventures because you'd have parents say no you can't do that yeah. so you need to remove the the obstruction which is why they'd kill off all the parents anyway <laughs> irish irish films do it a lot too um i even wrote like a story years ago about the fairies the the gaelic fairies that would steal children like when they say when your kids get you know disappear always consider the fact they might be yeah, fairies. For the fairies, yeah. yeah. That's right. That's what my parents always used to say if I, they caught me staring <laughs> off into space. <laughs> like right and now. Was like, you're off with the fairies. <laughs> so, like, oh. anyway, this girl um, hears of a place called Roan Inish, which is an island not far from the mainland where her family actually came from. But the grandparents moved from there when people in their family died and it was tragic and they had to remove themselves from the area. But she has it in mind that the Selkie legend is true. Her baby brother is still alive. So her and her cousin get in a little dinghy and they row out to Roninish. And secretly, without the grandparents knowing, they try to um, do it up like the old homestead. They try to get it back into you know livable condition so that the grandparents can be convinced to go back and return. Blah, blah, blah. Anyway, it's a wonderful film from there. It's so hard to describe because as with a lot of folklore movies, it's convoluted yeah. unless you're watching it. But unlike Hollywood movies that, you know, dip into this sort of thing, this one doesn't offer conclusions on a platter. Like, it lets kids think hard about what's happening and makes them sort of go through the process of emotions and all that kind of stuff. So a lot of kids will get bored with it in today's world. Back when I was a bit younger, it was not a problem. Like, I was right there hooked. When kid had attention, kids had attention spans and they didn't have second screens to yep. distract them. Naturally, also, like, the, the production value, like, the grey skylines and the, the landscapes are beautiful. But the music, there's got to be fiddles. There's got to be fiddles in an Irish film. Got to be. And lots of flutes. And so I'm drawn to it in that regard. 
So add it to your must-see list. I highly recommend The Secret of Rowan Inish. Colin Firth, actually. Is it Colin Firth or Colin Farrell? He's the Irish one, isn't he? Colin Farrell? Yeah, Colin yes. Farrell. He made one a few years later called Ondine, which is very similar about the Selkies. And that ah, was, okay, well, it's when he, he finds that woman in his fishing boat. Yeah, and that one... And he's a, his wife has died and he's yeah, a drunk. Once and again, there's a, another death. Yeah. That one's directed by Neil Jordan, another Irish legend. But of the two, Rowan Inish is the better, but they're both, you know, pretty magical. I've always... I've, I've looked at... At Onadine a couple of times. Yeah. But then I remember that, do you remember that TV show, The 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 Onadine Line? No, I don't. Which is like a shipping, it's like a ship yeah, right. series about this, <laughs> you know. And uh, I didn't really, I borrowed that from, I borrowed that from the Oakley Public Library, you know, 20 years ago now. And I, I was like super excited to see it. And I watched the first episode and I was like, I do not like this at all. <laughs> so that's what it's made me kind of stay away from the film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, there you go. That's my recommendation, man. There you go. You may as well launch Great. into your first oh, one. Oh, okay. Well, I'm going to go a little a little further back Woo. than you. And I guess this is a, it's a very odd film, I have to say. It's from 1946, so just post World War II. Mm-hmm. Um, it's called I See a Dark Stranger. Never heard of it. Never. It stars it stars Deborah Kerr and Trevor Howard, mm. and there is a uh, a little cameo appearance by Alan Sharp, a.k.a. Darby O'Gill, <laughs> as Irish barman. I am pretty sure every right. Irish movie ever made has ties to Darby O'Gill. In one way or another. <laughs> if, if, you know, at the very least, you need a, a Scot playing an Irishman <laughs> to, to really make it a proper Irish film. Um, but it's written and uh, it's written and directed by, or at least it's the two writers, Sidney, Sidney Gillette and Frank Lauder, a lounder. Lounder, Lounder. It's gonna let you go on that one. They're the guys that wrote uh, "The Lady Vanishes" and "Night Train to Munich." Gotcha. Um, Formidable force. And uh, they they did this one as well. So it's set just it's set during the kind of last year or so of World War Two, and Deborah Kerr plays this plays this, uh, her name's uh, Bridie Quilty, and she lives in this kind of a small Irish village with her uncle because her, her father has died. Her mother, both her parents have died mm-hmm. and she's been raised by the, basically by the community, you know, and they all, she's been listening to these stories her entire life of the Irish revolution and how the British and, you know, because they, even before the troubles and all that sort of stuff, the Irish always had, had issues with the British, yeah. with the English. Um, and she, ha- so she hates them. And mm-hmm. so she seems to think that she doesn't really care about, World War Two, yep, and the Nazis. She goes, That's none of my business because Ireland during World War Two were neutral. Yep, like oh, we're sticking out of this. <laughs> so she, when she turns twenty one, she has her twenty first birthday, and she travels to Dublin mm-hmm. to meet up with, uh, I guess, who's the, the head of the IRA, who at this point were like, well, we've signed a treaty with the British, and so we're not at war with them. Mm-hmm. So we, you know, we'll just we'll do everything <laughs> diplomatically. And, you know, she's kind of grew up, her, you know, believing that her father fought side by side with this guy. And you kind of, you watch it as it kind of unfolds, and you get the impression that it's all horse shit. Like all of the, <laughs> the tales that she's grown up with are just exaggerations of men who tell the same story every night while getting drunk at the pub. <laughs> and, you know, there's like, there's even a scene at the, at the beginning of the film where these two women are like, you know, like, oh no, they definitely went off to Dublin, but there's, there's a lot of pubs between here and <laughs> Dublin. I don't know if any of them ever actually made it. <laughs> So, so she goes and meets him and he kind of rebu- he rebuffs her. She wants to join the IRA and take up arms against the British. And, 
they rebuff her. So instead, she... And they don't really kind of show it, but she basically becomes an agent for the Nazis against the British. And there's a... They they want to uh, free a prisoner who's got some information about... I think it turns out to be the D-Day invasion. And so she's kind of helping them, but, but... in the, her job is to kind of distract uh, Trevor Howard, who her um, controller thinks is the, a British intelligence officer. Mm-hmm. Turns out he's not. He's just uh, he just happens to be there on like he's an injured soldier on on leave. Um, and but she falls in love with him, and then kind of changes her mind about about the whole thing. And then it's and then in typical uh, you know um, thirty nine steps slash. Uh, Lady Vanishes slash Night Train to Munich, it goes on a kind of, a, it becomes like a chase hunt type movie. Yeah, yeah. It's really, really good. Like, it's a lot of fun. Uh, it's, you know, it doesn't sound like a typical Irish film, but... No, well, yeah, yeah. I guess it probably isn't. They're probably <laughs> British. Yeah, yeah. And it's just, you know, a story about a, conf- you know, a confused, you wacky Irish girl, <laughs> that kind of thing. But it is, like, definitely up there with things like Lady Vanishes, which I think... Uh, like perfect, you know, rainy Sunday afternoon movies. Yeah, totally. Like, you know, you watch them at home in the middle of the day while you're eating snacks and yeah. just, uh, you know, because you can't really do anything else because it's horrible outside and mm-hmm. you just, you got the heater on and you're all snuggly and warm. And Mate, oh, you're making like me sound uh, this is a, push and comfy and cozy. This is a film for, for that. Well, you know what? Time. Someone that's nice to snuggle up to, I'm sure, is uh, Guillermo. So let's uh, throw it over to him and see what he has to say. How's it going, everybody? It's Guillermo here again from ScreenRealm.com, the Australian movie entertainment website that's uh, still out of action, unfortunately. But nevertheless, I am still here, and I'm here to tell you a little bit about some of the movie news that's occurred over the past week. The website will be up and running soon, I hope, and I'll let you know when it is. Robert Rodriguez has a Spy Kids reboot on the way, and he's cast his leads. Gina Rodriguez and Zachary Levi are going to be playing the new parents, and the kid stars are Evelyn Carganija and newcomer Connor Esterson. Robert Rodriguez is directing, writing, and producing the next film, which is going to be introducing a new family of spies. And this is a Netflix film. Aussie filmmaker Lee Whannell, who created the Saw franchise with James Wan and who recently directed The Invisible Man, is currently in negotiations to direct Green Hornet and Kato for Universal. Universal has a Green Hornet and Kato script from David Kep, and they're really excited to get started on it apparently, and they're looking to fast track it as soon as Whannell signs on the dotted line. The studio managed to acquire the rights to the Green Hornet franchise in 2020 in a competitive bidding war. There could soon be a sequel slash prequel to Michael Mann's Heat. Michael Mann is currently working on a follow-up novel that serves as both a prequel and a sequel to his 1995 hit. The novel, which he has written with author Meg Gardner, has been in the works for around six years and it's actually going to be hitting shelves this coming August. There's nothing official to go on, although Michael Mann has talked about wanting to make it into a film or possibly a television series. Regarding casting, nothing official either, although Al Pacino, talking at the Tribeca Film Festival, did explicitly state that he would like to see Timothy Chalamet play a younger version of his character in a potential follow-up. So Chalamet certainly has Pacino's approval. That about does it for me, guys. Be sure to join me in Screen Realm on social media. Just go to Screen Realm on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, even TikTok. So um, thanks a lot, guys. Catch you next week.
woman out there claims she's got a good man. Show me your woman that's got a good man. Show me your woman that's got a good man. Show me your woman that's got a good man. Show me your woman that's got a good man. Show me your woman that's got a good man. I show you a woman doing all she can. Yes, Bryn. Like I said earlier, there's no escaping the commitments. No, sir. If you want a little loving, you got to start real slow. <laughs> that one was uh, Show Me from the... Uh, I had to go to volume two of the commitment soundtrack because <laughs> we mine the first you know, volume of that quite a lot. I've put a few commitment songs on the show before. I always think that isn't volume two that like the inspired by the commitments <laughs> rather than songs that... you know, like I, I remember listening to it the first, like I was working at Borders when I... It, Discovered that that actually put that out, yeah. <laughs> and I put it on in the shop because you got you got to pick what was played, and I'd be like, "Well, is this well in, in this case? Film? In this case, Volume Two was a few songs that were already on Volume One, right? And then some songs that just didn't get put on it, um, and but then some like second takes. They've obviously recorded a few versions, so that's what ended up. But do you remember when they did like Volume Two and Three of the Train Spotting soundtrack? That was weird. That was like music that might have been heard in the, the distance. <laughs> yeah. So the, the transporting, the transporting soundtrack never did it for me, only because I mean, I like, I like Lust for Life is great. Yeah, don't yeah, get me yeah. wrong. But like all of those songs, they feel like the songs that you you have on at four o'clock in the morning <laughs> yeah. when you're coming down from yep at like an ecstasy high and, and you're, your you're all sweaty yeah. and you know. <laughs> I was like, I hate feeling that way. Well, yeah, I, I've my next recommendation, which we'll get to a bit later, um, has a very similar soundtrack. So yeah, right. there we go. Human traffic, <laughs> no, yeah. <laughs> similar. But um, um, yeah. I have to say, like, I think I don't know if we talked about this on the show, but the thing that that surprised me most yeah. was that the guy who plays uh, Jimmy, the manager, yeah, yeah, yeah. is actually like a singer and was supposed to play the Andrew Strong part <laughs> until they heard Andrew Strong, and he got made the and rabbit. Then he, he, got, he made the rabbit. rabbit. He's still like, the main character. <laughs> yeah, but. And he does... Um, he doesn't polarise like Andrew Strong does. No, but he does <laughs> sing that on the soundtrack. He does sing that um, uh, Treat Her Right mm, yeah, song. Yeah. And it is a fantastic version. And he was like, I wish I'd just had like, an album of this guy's stuff. Did he reprise his role in that quasi-sequel, The Van? Do you know? I haven't seen The Van. I thought that was part of like the Snapper and... 
Yeah, the commitment. It's all about Jimmy Rabbit's family, like all those. Oh, uh, is it? Oh, yeah, yeah right. Okay, so but I knew I, the snapper and the van were together. I didn't yeah, know no, that the, that was the that commitment was, was the third one. Because tr- I know Colmini's in it. Yeah, so it's a trilogy, but I just can't remember if he reprised his role or not because that's supposed yeah, to be right. the commitments, you know, so-called sequel. But um, anyway, there you go. A song for the commitments, and also before that, Guillermo from Screen Realm. So do yourself that favor and head up to ScreenRealm.com, visit their YouTube or Facebook or Twitter or Instagram, all that kind of stuff. Show them the support, and um, yeah. Let's get on with uh, the show. Ben, we've got an interview to play in a moment. When it comes to Irish filmmakers, there are some filmmakers whose work has transcended beyond that into the accolades of Hollywood and whatnot, and Jim Sheridan is one of them. Neil Jordan, John Carney, John Borman, Kenneth Branagh, those type of guys have all gone on to Oscar fame. But um, what do you think of Jim Sheridan? Have you seen many of his films? Uh, I've seen... I've seen... In the name of the Father, I've yep. seen. I've you know, just got to bring up his. Uh, That's right, my left run, foot. I've never seen my left foot. That's great. I've seen the the parody, <laughs> the martial arts parody <laughs> of it. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, back you couldn't make it now. Like you just couldn't because you know, let's say that Daniel Day Lewis goes down the steady Eddie type of performance, and that'll make sense to a certain generation. Yeah. It's a great performance, but I just don't know if an abled, mentally abled, bodied actor could do it these days without Would be allowed uh, to do it. Exactly right. Um, um, anyway, but the thing is that Jim Sheridan and Daniel Day Lewis rose through the Hollywood ranks together, pretty much. Yeah, right. This this that film shot them both into the stratosphere of Hollywood. Did he direct Get Rich or Die Trying? He did. He did. I've look. I've seen. Okay, so I'm just going through the thing. I'm. My second re- recommendation is going to be The Boxer. Yeah, cool. Because that's I just watched that again. I watched that again uh, yep. recently, and I, I remember really liking it. But the same with In the Name of the Father. I've only got really vague memories of it, except that after watching it, I was like, man, that was fucking good. And the funny thing with In the Name of the Father, I always get it mixed up with that scene in Patriot Games when they free Sean Bean. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Like just, just, that, just that bit where they free him from the truck with yep. the two English cops, and, and well, the one English cop and the Irish cop. Yep. And I always get the, you know, think that that's in the name of the father, but um, I do, I do really love the boxer. I thought that was great, but cool. I saw in America at Miff, yeah, and that movie blew me away. I well, thought it was really, really freaking good. We can talk about that in a little bit because I'm going to tie my recommendation into that. Okay. Um, but so yeah, as you mentioned, the boxer also in the name of the father. Both had a little bit of controversy around them, particularly in the name of the father. Jim's about to address that in my conversation, but he also talks about how the box art turned out to be a movie that was not quite what they intended when they began. So that's interesting Ooh. too. So here we go. Uh, my chat with Jim Sheridan. Enjoy. What a, what a bloke. Jim, thank you so much for making time for me. It's great to be chatting with you. How are you, sir? I'm very good. I'm in Sardinia in Italy at a European Film Academy board meeting, which I joined few years ago i'm not sure how good i am at it but i'm here what part of the world are you melbourne yes i'm in melbourne i was in melbourne a couple of times yeah so i'd love to talk to you about this um particular box set that the imprint uh, label is putting out they do amazing releases and they put a lot of um a lot of effort into their special features and and things like that and this particular box set is uh the the jim sheridan four irish films box set um, and it does have new commentaries that you've recorded and lots of other features. Do you enjoy revisiting your films? I don't mind it at all. Um, I mean, it's a way of thinking about what you did and what you could do. Um, 
you know, those that time is a particular time, you know, 10 years when I did a lot of Irish movies and kind of exhausted a lot of subject matter. So, you know, it's an interesting time. It was the first four movies I made. They were all out of Ireland. Uh, I wrote another movie called Into the West in that time, which has also come out. But I like all four movies. They're different. And when you look back, they were kind of quite a, you know, sport of creative stuff, you know? For sure. Um, I uh, I want to know, like, you were when you when you released um my left foot that was met with critical acclaim like when you've made a film the first film you've ever made does that kind of explosion of accolades and acclaim like the oscars and the baftas does that affect you personally i mean i imagine it hits you like a freight train yeah it does hit you a little bit like a freight train um especially like when you're coming out of doing theater and you know, you might get one or two interviews for a show or, you know, a couple of reviews or you're, you're in New York trying to get a review and, you know, it's extremely difficult because you're kind of like Irish and you're doing stupid Irish plays that are 50 years or 100 years old. And, you know, then you do a movie and it's like, you know, everywhere in the world and, you know, the, 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 it changes your living standard and your way of thinking about the world, you know? And, and, and three of those four films you made with Daniel Day-Lewis, so you kind of both exploded, you know, onto the scene at the same time. He has a reputation, and you've been asked this a hundred times, I'm sure. His, his method acting is very well known. Can you talk a little bit about what it's like to direct a method actor of his, you know, calibre? I think it would be different for every director um you know the best situation with any collaboration is that you're not really having to do a lot of work that it's kind of understood intrinsically or on some level that's you know deeper than any logic can approach so it's kind of you know unconscious and you know, me and Daniel were kind of connected in that way um, that we didn't have to speak much to each other, you know? And that's hard to explain. It's a bit like any collaboration. You kind of, you, you can't explain it. It, it. it just kind of happened, you know? But we were, we, we kind of saw the world the same way, I think, you know? Mm. I kind of allowed him a lot of freedom. Um, and at the same time, I think I was probably... The only thing I brought to him was kind of a grounding, you know, in 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 keeping it real or keeping it from getting too, I don't know, too artistic, maybe. Yeah. Is it hard to connect with them when an actor like him when he is deep in, in the method? No. No. It's so if you have to give him direction, does he yeah, does he take it like as the actor or does he do it in character? I'm just fascinated by the whole the process. I'd say both at once, you know, there's a kind of overzealous way of responding to, you know, what's called method acting, which is just somebody either deep in character, which kind of a lot of actors do kind of um, become inaccessible, I suppose, 
But mm. I think with Daniel, it wasn't like that. It was just that he had a huge respect for the people he was playing and he felt like, you know, he was borrowing their life in a way and that he owed that the best effort he could give it as opposed to look at me and, you know, I'm going to find, I'm going to, you know, get into this character by denying myself stuff. It's not really like that, you know, it's, um, mm. You know, once upon a time, Brando was the method actor, and yes. I'm not sure he was, but, you know, at that point in time, he was. Then I suppose De Niro became the method actor. Then Daniel became the method actor. But in the end of the day, you know, it became so debased that anybody who lost 20 pounds was the latest method. <laughs> yeah, that's right. If I can just bring you back to these these films, the one I want to talk about for a moment is The Field because down here at least, that's sort of the lesser known of the four. And I remember loving this one back on video when I saw it. Um, yeah. And you made it basically immediately after My Left Foot. Did the two yeah. productions overlap? Yeah. Basically what happened was I'd made My Left Foot and it hadn't yet come out and... It, the first review I saw of it was while I was filming The Field, and that was Pauline Kael's review in The New Yorker, and kind of on some level I knew that had changed my life, but I wasn't aware yet of the importance of it, but I kind of knew. Um, yeah. Field was a more difficult movie because it was particularly Irish, you know? I remember coming out of The Field in Wilshire Boulevard, some cinema down there near Fairfax. And um, as the audience came out, one guy said to the other, what was his problem? And I was like, well, and he's like, he didn't own the field. He rented the field. What was his problem? And they didn't really get the tenant occupancy the way an Irish person would, you know? Um, and essentially the move to America for, you know, all of Southern Europe, Italy, Spain, Ireland, was the movement of peasants to the cities and they were never going back to the fucking land where they were, had, had, had a horrible life. And so once they got in the cities, they just forgot the, the land. So people didn't really understand tenancy and peasants. And, mm. you know, and that's what that's what made that movie very difficult to. It also made the boxer very difficult because. People didn't understand, especially a black culture, for instance, but was mind blown by the fact that the white people hated each other and couldn't understand what was the difference between Catholics and Protestants and couldn't tell them apart because they were all white and they all had the same type of houses. So I feel that that, that particular problem is unexplainable in those terms because when it gets down to the root of civil rights, I don't think Americans can access that the white people have civil rights issues in the modern world, although that's probably true of Northern Ireland. It's just too hard for their head to take. Mm. 
So I feel those films needed, if I was reshooting them, I would reframe the opening 10 minutes and explain them a bit more. But that's hard to see when you're doing it from your culture, which has to have an authenticity. And, 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 you know, it's like trying to put 10 fingers to nine holes. Uh, <laughs> you know, you know, making Irish movies is the equivalent of playing uh, baseball with a hurling stick, you know. <laughs> and any small change can make things incredibly difficult to understand. So cultures have a hard way of explaining themselves to other cultures, you know? And, yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, that leads me to an interesting thing I was going to bring up, because in the name of the Father, um, and I'm not going to ask you to get into all of the details and whatnot, but, um, you know, this is a movie that you spent a lot of time defending for various creative liberties to the story. Um, but mm-hmm. I actually feel that those creative licenses that you used... Um, made the story stronger for people that aren't Irish, if that makes any sense. Yeah, look, it, it, it's any story has two aspects. One, it's kind of trying to tell a history, and that history might spread over thousand or ten thousand years, and be and be pressed down into Adam and Eve, or <laughs> Cain and Abel. And the same with Irish stories. It's kind of a story that could be centuries old or could be, you know, could be uh, pressed down. So In the Name of the Father is a pressed down story. People say, well, you take liberties, you know, with a story. So just to give you an example, in the prison system in which I was writing that story, There was no history of any IRA man, which is Irish Republican Army, burning a prison guard. But there was no other way of showing the terror or the intent of the IRA. So I showed that scene. Nobody complained about it. Nobody went, what guard was burned? But Mm -hmm. the fact that I put them in the same cell became the big big issue it's very revealing why that's the big issue because in 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 effect by putting them in the same cell if they had the british would have shown themselves or the authorities let's say would have Mm. shown themselves to be very humane Mm. and so by me putting them in the cell i was saying well on a deep level they were more humane than they actually were but they were happy to say No, they were never in the same cell. We separated them. They were innocent and we didn't care. And we know one was the father and the other was the son, but we put them in different holding pens like cattle. But you you had the audacity to show us being humane. And the reason for that is power thinks it has the right to chastise and do what it wants. And in a funny way, if you arrest innocent people, you chastise the general population more than if you arrest the actual guilty. It, because it spreads in the community that anybody can get lifted if they're, let's put any word in there after that, Irish, aggressive, gay, 
whatever you want. So, yeah. so it, stories have to, the function of that story was to have the nonviolent father as the arbiter of morality and ethics. And that was the actual difficulty that many authority figures had with it, that it was reestablishing the original intent of the civil rights marches or what should have been the intent, which was nonviolent confrontation. And that was their actual problem. And, you know, in many ways, it was part of the grounding for what became known in Ireland as the peace process, hmm. which is now kind of under some kind of threat because uh, of the protocol, you know, or whatever they call it. I have no clue what it is. Yep, yep, sure. And, and But you followed that up with The Boxer, which is another IRA story. Um, what compelled you to sort of stay within that sort of territory? I, you know, I... I wanted to do a boxing movie and then it became an IRA movie, a story about the North again. Um, that's a more difficult movie because on some level, my left foot and in the name of the father were recognizable tropes within the American TV movie of the week, you know, yeah. which no self-respecting American director would make. And those were called you know, they had a thing called the disease of the week where they'd have, you know, a story about. And then they had the, the injustice story. And these were staples of American television that had run out of steam. But I just think I was doing what were staples without knowing and just giving them a little bit more maybe depth, you know? Yeah. And, and but, you know, if you want to, if you want your movie or your story to to work, you must kind of it, it, it must be in some aspect or genre that the audience recognize, you know. We're just about out of time. I mean, you know, it's such a short time and lots to talk about, but you know, I, I just think these four movies are great. I, I think it's the first time that the field has ever been released onto Blu-ray as part of this box set. So that's a great thing. And I would encourage everyone that's listening or watching to go and buy this box set. It's a, it's a limited edition and it's really beautiful, but thank you so much for spending time, Jim. It's been an absolute pleasure picking your brain. It was so good to talk to you, Glenn. Keep in touch and I hope your show goes well. All right. God bless you. Welcome to Bonehead Weekly Fun Size. We're talking about Irish films. Did you all know that Colin Farrell is Irish? No. And if you look up Irish movies, Colin Farrell and Liam Neeson are in several of them. I wonder why. So is this Daniel Day person. I didn't know. Call Meany keeps showing up too, guys. Well, he is a national treasure which nation nation every nation if i learn nothing else from star trek lower decks is that he's the most important character of all time in the star trek universe hard it's uh i actually have only seen it twice i actually bought the blu-ray in preparation for this five minute segment uh you're welcome glenn uh i just i, I love the movie and i don't know why i never owned it and when this topic i was like i have to buy it and I am so glad I did. I forgot how much I love this. So it's written by John Michael, written and directed by John Michael McDonough. Uh, it stars Brendan Gleeson and Don Cheadle. 
Brendan Gleason is just this cop in this small town in Ireland who is the racist, most corrupt, just mean man on the planet. And he is there doing good, trying to solve this murder, which turns into another big thing that I won't get into because I want people to see this film. Uh, it really is great. Again, here in the States, it, nobody talks about it. It's just kind of been forgotten, but it is a great film. Uh, and it's two great performers. Uh, Brendan Gleeson and Don Cheadle play well off one another. Two great actors. I'm, I often do this. I pick, I knew I wasn't going to pick Chad's because I was actually going to pick the crying game. <laughs> I really was. I really, not only do I love the song, I actually do really love the song, but I actually like that movie quite a it bit. It is a good film. But, but again, I haven't seen it in a while and I wanted to rewatch it and I didn't get time. It's an IRA plot like a lot of these Irish films have, but it's really, it is, but it isn't about the IRA. It's actually kind of a love story. What do you think? Oh, totally. It's I mean, it really, the IRA 100%. is just the backdrop of a straight man who is played by Stephen Ray, who is obviously British once again. He's never been in an Irish film. Directed by Neil Jordan, who's also not Irish. I'm sorry, this, this movie is extremely Irish. It isn't nominated for some Oscars. It was uh, one of those things where Neil Jordan actually got an interview with a vampire after this film. Do you guys remember that? Is an ex-IRA, gets kind of kidnapped by a British soldier in his custody, or he kidnaps a British soldier. And that guy, well... I don't want to talk too much about it played by Forrest Whitaker. What happens? He talks about someone that he's in love with this girl. He goes, if you've never seen this, the less I say about it, the better. He goes after this all goes bad. He goes to London, ends up finding the girl, befriends her and falls in love. Yeah. And then and, the IRA follows him. And this That's is one of the, and I will say that this is one of those movies with the twist that actually surprised me. And it surprised me because I was sitting in a room watching it with my mother and father. Wow. Well, <laughs> and that was one of those awkward moments where i am, am sitting on the floor watching the tv they're sitting on the couch behind me and i was afraid to turn around to see the repercussions of the movie that i picked up at the video store that at weekend <laughs> bad well this <laughs> came out so this twist wouldn't be as twistful today i don't think i don't think no. it always has the same impact mm -mm. 30 years on but in 92 Buddy, it was the movie that had a secret. In fact, that's the way it was sold. It was a big hit. It was the movie with a little secret. And yeah. I'm going to talk about it, the best Irish movie to star Gabriel Byrne. The Lobster. Ahem, Gabriel Byrne, David Kelly, Cole Meany, Brandon Gleeson. No, I know what he's doing. Jim do. Norton. Yeah. That's right. Into the West. You know why it's the best Irish film that stars all those people? It's the only Irish film that stars all those people. It is a veritable all-Irish cast. It is the only time those people all work together, even though, well, with the exception of Ellen Barkin, uh, all heavily Irish act uh, male actors there. But the plot to the movie is it's oddly, it's got some mysticism to it, It's but it's also an uplifting movie, and I normally don't do uplifting movies, but this grandfather finds a huge white horse and gives it to his grandchildren who are low class, uh, and, and they end up trying to keep the horse in their flat. The horse is stolen, and these 
two young boys go out to find the horse. And there's a little bit of, is it mystical? Is it not? It doesn't matter. It's uplifting. It's about them coming to terms with a lot of different things. And so if you've never seen Into the West, I'm not saying you should rush out and watch it, but if you want a movie that has a little bit of hope in it and you can interpret it a couple different ways, if you've never seen Into the West, you probably should check it out. This has been Bonehead Weekly Fun Size. All right, so we're essentially in what I would call block number four of the show, Ben, which is where I kind of would have put another little Irish joke into the show. Um, But now that we've had Jim (laughs) Sheridan on, I kind of feel guilty. (laughs) Maybe I shouldn't. Hmm. How about them boneheads? (laughs) Let's just make bonehead jokes. Yeah, okay. So you know why the unsolved murder rates are high in Kentucky? Why? There's no dental records of DNA, and all the DNA's the same. <laughs> <laughs> Ugh, if they ever, if they ever actually listen to the show, that's going to get us into so much trouble. <laughs> I love the Kentuckians. Come on, who am I kidding? I have loads of friends over there, including those guys, the have Boneheads. You, have you been to, to Kentucky? Um, there's one on the corner, mate. Yeah, <laughs> I had dinner there tonight. That's right. I always told my kids that if you can't go around the world you may, may as well taste the world yeah and i've had I've, I've tasted kentucky plenty of times both in uh liquid form and in uh you know solids <laughs> maybe i'll get there one day that's for sure but our bonehead weekly podcast is well worth your time so go find that have a listen it's good fun <laughs> what were you gonna say no no, no, no. <laughs> do you want to go right ahead with your second recommendation uh, sure. Well, as I mentioned, it is The Boxer, mm-hmm. uh, directed by uh, Jim Sheridan. I don't know if you're oh, okay. familiar with uh, his some, work. Some he, Irish he guy. Did My Left Foot and... Uh, uh, <laughs> and Get Rich and Die Trying. Get Rich and Die Trying. Which is what, the, the, the Eminem wannabe movie? Yeah, the 50 Cent. Always bloody shocked me that he directed that. The 50 Cent movie. It's not a bad movie, though, I must say. It's easy to make fun of because it's like... it's, it's a 50 eight, Cent it's, movie. It's 8 Mile with 50 Cent. But 50 Cent, yeah. It's still quite good. But I do... Uh, yeah. Uh, but so this one's made in 1997. It does star Daniel Day-Lewis, the Jim Sheridan uh, staple. Yep. Uh, also appearing is Emily Watson, who is like Emily Watson in a couple of movies. is like that kind of, you know, pixie dream girl type. <laughs> and she does it again in this mm-hmm. one, even though she is like just like, this kind of, you know, drab, <laughs> like it lives in a drab environment, you know, in the middle of these kind of Irish slums. Um, but just so ridiculously appealing. Yep. And basically, look, it it tells the story of um, uh, this guy, Danny Flynn, played by Daniel Day-Lewis, mm-hmm. who uh, was an aspiring boxer, very talented boxer, who got mixed up in uh, some IRA business during the Troubles and was sent to prison for 14 years, uh, and where he kind of shut himself off from everyone, the IRA, yep. every, like everything. Mm-hmm. And then he gets out, and tries to kind of get his life back together and just wants to um, come back home and kind of take up boxing again, Mm -hmm. even though he's now 32 and kind of past it. Um, And he, and he kind of, so he basically runs into trouble with his old life when he, when he comes back. And I don't really want to kind of go into any more of the plot. That's, that's enough. Mm Mm-hmm. That's an, enough of the kind of plot, but it is just—it is a really good movie. It's not as—it's shockingly violent in parts, yep. and very little of it is 
of that takes place in the boxing ring, <laughs> yeah. uh, considering it, it, it is a, a, a well, boxing movie. Well, as we, as we just heard, he kind of didn't want to yeah. go down that path to begin with. He just wanted to make a sports movie, but it's inevitable. And it's it's weird. Like, it is, I guess, the, you know, the talent pool seems to be pretty deep, but, you know, to a degree, I guess it's like Australian films. Like, you see the same people in yeah. in things. And there's a couple of actors in this who you see, <laughs> like, they're playing they're playing almost different generations in this film, and then... In previous films, that they're like love interests. You're like, That's so weird. <laughs> um, but this uh, Brian Cox turns up in this. Mm-hmm. He's great as um, as Emily Watson's dad. Um, my favorite, who, who, whose career I've followed for a long time, ever since I think um, on the ABC they played this show. They had this show called Taken Over the Asylum about a glass. I think he's a like a double glazing salesman who gets the sack and then somehow finagles his way into becoming the um the DJ at a mental hospital like right. the in-house <laughs> the in-house DJ at a mental hospital. Uh his name's Ken Stott. He's been in Charlie Wilson's War. He's yep. been in a, a ton of stuff. He was in King Arthur. He's like the kind of um um he was the drunk. He was the boxing coach who's kind of fallen into alcoholism and stuff after Danny is sent to prison because the whole thing with the boxing gym was that it was, um, I'm going to get this wrong, sick, it's uh, uh, sectarian. So it was both Protestants and yeah. Catholics. Yeah. It, they, they, there was no um, you know, religious divide in that school, mm-hmm. in, the, in the boxing club. And when all that stuff with Danny went over when it was 14, it split the place Bloody in half. Oak, which and, is the story of the, the Troubles. Yeah. Yeah. And it all went to, it all went to pot. And so he ends up like living on the streets and he's, and is like drunk and stuff like that and had blacks out and all sorts of things. But there's, and he's, he's like, gives this fantastic, he's the heart of the film. He's really good. Um, It is a really like, despite it's kind of, you know, harsh nature and time, it is a really kind of uplifting film. Like Mm -hmm. it is a, yeah. Um, quite very enjoyable. I do think like the, the four films that are featured in this new box set do complement each other very well. Like they are four movies in his, career that feel very connected yeah yeah definitely. so awesome i'm glad you kind of picked that one too because it's the one film of his in our chat that we just said that we didn't really focus on too much so there we go now we have yeah, you're welcome good movie monday is made possible with the support of people like Viewlorium. Viewlorium is a streaming platform for rare and obscure movies and it's absolutely free they also have a catalogue full of kids' flicks, classic movies, foreign cinema, and more. Visit Viewlorium.com today to see what it's all about. Well, you hear that Viewlorium commercial every single week, so if you haven't already done so, go and check them out. They support us, so, you know, we should support them. I do. <laughs> there's some good stuff on there. Like I've said before, lots of classics dropping on there. I'm sure there's some Irish classics in there too. I love a good classic. Damn straight. Damn straight. Give me a give me a one thirty three to one <laughs> a, a Academy ratio black and white film set set either just before World War Two or just after World War Two. And mm, mm, mm. there you go. Free streaming service, classics and cult stuff. Very obscure titles there as well. But um, all right. Moving on to my next recommendation, the final one for the show. Ben, back in the video store days, do you remember a movie called Disco Pigs? I remember the title. Yeah, that's from 2001. It's my second recommendation also. Boy, this is a weird one. 
This is weird. It's got the soundtrack of the same. It's very much like um, Train Spotting. It's got that. Uh, so I think it might have Chemical Brothers in there. It's certainly got Moby. Like it's that kind of thing. Jamiroquai. Maybe it's just so. But the movie. Why is it called Disco Pigs? Well, it's. I'm still trying to figure that out. Yeah. To be honest with you, <laughs> it should but be um, Bee Gees and Casey and the Sunshine Band. <laughs> this is a, a fucking weird movie, but goddamn, it's compelling. It's about two 16 year old, uh, a boy and a girl. And they've right. grown up... A good combination. Grown up basically twins. So the film starts off with her narrating how they met. And they met at birth. So she's born, rugged up, and put into the nursery at the hospital. He's born, rugged up, and put beside her. They look each other in the eye as babies, and they hold hands. And from that moment on, they have been inseparable for their whole lives. And they even right. live next door to each other. So much so that when they go to bed at night, there's a hole in the wall where they put their hands through, and they hold hands while they sleep, right? So they're just interconnected. Hold hands, huh? Yeah. Well, that well, that's right. If I had a hole in my wall. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, essentially the premise is they're twins separated only by DNA, right? Like, that's the right. only thing that separates them. But the, the weird but thing is... But then they bone. No, but oh. as, it, as it sort of progresses, you're kind of not far off the money, as boys do. He becomes a lot more into her than she is, right? Yeah. He's her brother, but he starts to see her as different. And it, the, the the unnatural nature of their relationship becomes very much like heavenly creatures. You know, when those girls got really uncomfortable, you know, the parents yeah. got uncomfortable with their friendship. In this case, her parents get very uncomfortable and take it upon themselves to remove her from the situation. So they move her to like a, a boarding school. It's more like a reform school when you watch it. But um, yeah. All boarding school, I think that's all, all yeah. Yeah, well, that's it. His nickname is Pig and her nickname is Runt. Right. And so they call themselves Pig and Runt. And he's played by um, Killian Murphy. Oh. You know, of, you know, Dark Knight fame and, you know... Win the Chase the, the Barley. Yeah, Piggy absolutely. Blinders, yeah. Piggy Blinders, absolutely. And uh, she's played by Elaine Cassidy. She was in a show called Acceptable Risk. And uh, she's currently in Discovery of Witches, I think, is one of the recent ones she's done. Okay. You might know her face, but they were both really baby-faced. Like, you look at him in this, my goodness, like, he's really, really... You know that gangly, gawky teenage phase that all boys go through? Yes. That was him in this one. Yeah, right. <laughs> so anyway, the the film takes a really dark turn when his obsession with her really gets out of control because, you know, he begins to depend on her and he tries to track her down to this place. And when he does, it almost becomes like a Bonnie and Clyde thing where he's going psychotic. She can't get away from him and she's scared to because of what he might do. So right. she no longer likes him. Pretty much. She loves him, but doesn't like him. Toxic masculinity. Yeah. And then he starts getting violent with any guy that looks at her and he really spins out of control. And the movie goes into the most dark places. It's a really grim movie, but fuck me dead. It's great. It's very, very Irish. And, you know, sometimes you require subtitles, you know, it's that Irish, (laughs) (laughs) but it's great. And how weird is this? Because I chose this film just because I remember it, wanted to revisit it, knew it was Irish. But as I'm watching it, it comes up with the credits at the end and says Kirsten Sheridan, who's Jim Sheridan's daughter. So it just worked out that just, way. Yeah, yeah. Right. And I'm like, holy fuck, what else has she done? Well, Jesus Christ, like she was nominated for an Oscar for her screenplay in America, yeah, right. which is the story of Jim Sheridan and his family moving to America. Moving to it's America. It's a biographical film. So well, they move he, into a slum and the whole yeah, uh, thing. Yeah, that's his story. Right. And, and he was nominated for an Oscar because he wrote the screenplay with her and the other daughter who didn't go on to filmmaking. But um, there we go. It all comes around. This, this Kirsten um, Sheridan also directed uh, August Rush, the one with, um, oh, okay. which I like, the one with yeah. uh, Robin Williams and Freddie Highmore. Yeah, That yeah, was yeah. a pretty good one. So well, He's the bum, isn't he, Robert Williams? 
No, no, like he's the... the manager. Like he's kind of like the king of the slums. Like he dresses yeah. like Bono with a cowboy hat, and he thinks he knows music. He thinks he's a music manager, so he picks this kid off the street who's got a musical talent, like a busker. Yeah, kind but of thing. then tries to be his manager and get him into all these, you know, venues yeah. and whatnot. But he's he's a charlatan. Yeah, but yeah, that was a good movie too. But there we go. I'm okay. going to put that down to luck of the Irish, mate. The fact that I picked that film and it happens to just be directed by the guy who was on the show today. Fuck me, dead. <laughs> oh fuck me dead <laughs> yeah I don't know if that's an Irish uh, no that's that's a Glenn thing that's a Glenn thing yeah I don't know if the Irish ever said fuck me dead <laughs> I'm sure they did <laughs> anyway that brings us to the end of the show mate I, I, I highly recommend you get onto Disco Pigs it's great it's on YouTube for free by the way ah perfect that's the price I like to pay <laughs> yeah, for my entertainment <laughs> free or uh, less with that, let's get on with it. Um, wrap it up. Guillermo, Jarrett, Joe, Chad, James, thanks to all of them. Um, over on social media and our bonus content stuff, I'd like to thank Chloe, Sam, and Melzi for having some input there. And, of course, Tia, who helps us on socials. Uh, anything you want to add this week, Ben? There's no freckles in your mouth to... Uh, no, to... but so we're doing Westerns next week. Is that correct? We're doing Westerns. We have uh, Richard Gray, an Australian director, and uh, Hollywood actor Thomas Jane on the show to talk about their new film, Murder at Yellowstone City. Lovely. I'm yeah. looking forward to this. Uh, what are you thinking? Are you going to be doing classic westerns? Are you going to look at some more modern westerns? Or you haven't decided? I haven't yet? decided yet. Um, I've sort of maybe hinted to Melzi, because she'll be on the show, that maybe she might want to do some horror westerns, just to keep oh, okay. it horror society related. Um, I don't know. I'm, I'm torn between the really classic ones, like the Howard Hawks style, or... Do I do the the Brat Pack style, the Young Guns, and you know, because I like them all. Well, why don't you do uh, your best your best buddy Sam Peck and Paws, uh, Pat Garrett and Billy the Kid? Well, you know that that British, the thes- bunch, that, that or... British thespian David Warner calls him Peck and Paw, so you know. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what I'm gonna do. Um, do I do spaghetti? Um, uh, meat pie westerns. Meat pie westerns. Spaghetti westerns. Yeah, I, I've never liked the term meat. German pie westerns. There's a, we when I was managing DVD collection, we got this uh, fantastic looking box set that I have forever regretted buying. <laughs> where, where the Germans got into the whole spaghetti western thing and made they made the like kraut westerns. Oh, kraut I westerns! Love, I love, love to see those. I love the sound of that. And then there's there's northerns, the Canadian westerns. I love the Canadian westerns. I don't know. Uh, I mean, there's a lot to choose. There from. There is a lot to choose from. I mean, I might even do like Dead Man or something like that. Like, you know. yeah, we may have to do more than two. <laughs> we won't have time for it. I do, actually, I think I know one Melzi's doing. I'm going to save that for a surprise for everyone who's listening to the show next week. All right, it's a banger. But um, you'll be happy about this. We're going to sign off with a song called "Go Now" from the Sing Street soundtrack. And this is a glorious moment in the film. And the, the reason I picked it is because it's the sign-off song in the film. It's a good one to sign off the show with. Even though Adam Levine sings it, which, you know, don't don't switch off now because of that. <laughs> it's a good song. I'm just I'm just a bit disappointed that it, we don't have the I'm black and I'm proud uh, soundbite in there somewhere from the commitments. It's the, uh, the best line in the film. Ah, oh, maybe just you know, keep listening and you may... You may get a treat. <laughs> See you later, everyone. Have a good week, Ben. You too, mate. The Irish are the blacks of Europe. And Dubliners are the blacks of Ireland. And the Northside Dubliners are the blacks of Dublin. So say it once. Say it loud. I'm black and I'm proud.
So here we are, we got another chance for life. It's what you want, I can see it in your eyes. You see so clear, it's coming into life. Go on, be wrong, cause tomorrow you'll be right. Don't sit around and talk it over. You're running out of time. Just face ahead, no going back now. you 